So we've been talking about significance. Significance is the quality or a quality that makes something admirable, makes it worth praise, it makes it worth paying attention to. We all love to feel significant. We, there's something about this feeling of significance that's just it's, it's awesome and it's incredible. But every week in this series, we've been telling you the same thing. We are way more concerned. God is way more concerned. You are way more concerned in the long run that you're, the thing that makes you significant can hold up when the test comes. Uh, uh, Domingo and I uh, have been working on a project. We, we're retiling kind of the first floor of a house. And I told Domingo, I think it'll take us a week. I was pretty confident it was going to take a week. I felt significant. I really did. And any of you who have been around me very long in building projects realize that my significance feeling often betrays me. Why? Because it's going to take two weeks. I hope we get it done in two weeks. You see, the feeling of significance is not nearly as important as the actual strength. Of significance. Do you have real significance? Now, we, we want you to feel significant as well, but we want it to come from something that will not betray you. God wants you to feel significant as well, but he wants it to come from something that will not betray you. And so we began this series, and, and the first thing we, 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 we looked at was, okay, so what tough things are going to come into your life? And we found out the toughest thing that's going to come into your life is, is death. Here we are in the middle of this, this pandemic, and, and especially people who are working in hospitals, they've seen death like in many ways they've never seen before. And this reminds us, we're going to die. Will your significance hold up then? And, and we found out that the reason that Jesus came and what Easter is all about is he wanted to give you his righteousness his quality that is worth praise and, and attention, he wanted to make, give you eternal life. Now that is significant. Then <clears throat> we continue to work on this, this, this idea, and we said, okay, so we looked at Christ that next week, and, and how do we be significant to, to God and significance even to ourselves? And we found that Christ did the most amazing thing. He did not focus on pleasing himself, but he focused on pleasing the Father. In other words, we become significant when we give what we have to God. We become significant when we share what we have with God. And so this week, we're jumping into this significant idea again. Let's, let's take a look at what we found out last week. Last week, we found out significance is not found from within. In other words, it's not that feeling. It's, it doesn't, it's not like, oh, it's somewhere inside of me. I just bring it out. No, it's not found within. But it is in response to a great God, a great call, and a great need. Last week, we focused on that great God and that great call. And that when you say yes to God, that's where significance is found. Many of you, God has significance right there for you. He wants you to live a significant life, but you're fooling around. You're kind of half-yesing, and what we found last week was, no, significance comes from practicing a full yes to God. 
And so this week we're going we're gonna to continue working on this uh, idea of significance and we're going to jump into somebody and, and we're going to focus on the need part of it. This great need. You have great needs around you right now in the middle of what we're going through. Uh, one of the things that, that uh, our church is doing, Lori and I are doing, and I bet you're doing too, is you're looking for ways that you can meet needs when you're under these restrictions. And so many times you're like, wow, there's so much out there that needs to be done, but I can't do it based on these restrictions. Like, there's great needs. What do we do? How do we interact with these great needs? Maybe you feel guilt because you can't meet all of the needs or you're, you're stressed to no end because you feel responsible to say yes to all of these great needs out there. Well, let's take a look at a guy named Gideon. Let's see what God has to say and see if we can pick up a few principles that will help you with this great God who has a great call. And there's this great need before you. Gideon's story starts with uh, the nation of Israel had been uh, evil. They had turned away from God. And so God had delivered them over to the Midianites. The Midianites were a group of people that were neighbors to Israel. And Israel would plant their crops. The crops would grow. They'd put all that time and energy into it. And about time it was time to harvest, the Midianites would come in and take away, steal, and destroy everything that was left. So the, the great need before the Israelites was... We're starving, we're hungry, we're oppressed. And so they reached out to God, and they prayed to God, and they said, we, we're sorry, we're sorry. And, and God did something about that. That's where this, start, this story starts. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abrazite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, first of all, I want you to understand this guy is threshing wheat. That's where you take the wheat that's on the stalk and you beat on it so the seeds fall off and you just have the wheat that is left. He's doing it inside of a wine press so he can't be seen. He is hiding from the Midianites to do this work. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. That's the first thing I want you to notice. Gideon is hiding and yet God comes to him and calls him a mighty warrior. There's a significance that God either sees or is going to bring about in a circumstance where Gideon doesn't see it at all. You'll see a little bit more as we work through it. Pardon me, Lord, Gideon replies, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? Now, if you're not familiar with Egypt and, and the Old Testament, the Old Testament, one of the huge kind of pin, pinpoints or turning points in the Old Testament is when the nation of Israel was slaves in Egypt. They really weren't a nation yet. They were in Egypt. There were millions of them, and they were slaves, and God sends Moses, and Moses leads them out of the land. And he did all these miracles. It's, it's one after another after another. He feeds them with manna. He, he opens the Red Sea. There's all these things. And this nation of Israel always looked back to those things and said, that's our God. We can trust him because of what he has done. And so Gideon is probably where you've been many times. I know where I've been. God, if you've done all these things in the past, I don't see you here. 
I, I don't see you. Where are you? I see the need. The Midianites are destroying us. I see the need, but I don't see you. But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, now listen to this, go in the strength you have. Now in a few verses later, now remember, this guy is hiding in a wine press. He goes, says, go in the strength you have. And save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? Great God, great call, great need. It's all right there. And so God says, I want to meet this need through you. <clears throat> he says, the Lord answered, I'm sorry, he says, pardon me, Lord, getting replied. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Now, sometimes we suffer from the other, which is, I see the great need. I think I can do something great about it. That wasn't Gideon's situation. So I want to speak to you who, who aren't overinflated in your importance. I want to speak to you who are looking at the world as it really is, which is the need is so much greater than our strength. And, and that's what Gideon saw. He's like, I'm the, I come from the weakest family, and I'm the weakest one in the family. I don't have what it takes to do this. Why would you, why would you call on me? If you're living your life going, God, where are you? <clears throat> God, why aren't I as strong as someone else? In Gideon's case, God's answer is because I want you. I've chosen you. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Because the issue is not how strong is Gideon. The issue is how strong is God. Remember the great God and the great call? <clears throat> and so then Gideon, Gideon says, oh, okay, I'll do it. And he makes a call. Uh, and the way it worked back then is, is a judge would come up or a person would come up, a leader, and he would call together for the, for the sake of taking on the enemy, and all of the tribes were supposed to send their people to them, and this is what Gideon did. He, he makes this call, and, and from all the different tribes, from lots of places, oh, thousands of men come together. And he's, gonna, he's about to lead them, and he, he does this interesting thing. And this is really important for this idea of this great need that you're facing. He thinks he has heard from God for sure. And what he does is he, he goes, you know, God, could, could you do me a favor? And that's the way the Bible says it. It's as if he approaches him and goes, God, could you, could you do me a favor? Um, I need to know this is you. And I need to know this is what you're calling me to do. So I'm going to take a piece of wool. I'm going to put it out on the ground. And would you make the wool wet from the dew and the drowned around it dry? If you do that, I know that this is what you want me to do. And so sure enough, he went out the next day and the ground is dry the wool is wet. So he picks it up, he wrings it out, and he goes, God, one more thing. Could, could you do that again in reverse? Could you make the ground wet and the wool dry? And so he does it. 
Goes out the next day. Sure enough, wool's dry, ground is wet. Now this is interesting. This is interesting because he's not testing if God will keep his word. He's not testing if he can trust God. He's trying to find out for sure that he heard from God. And God does it. Then God does something. The next step that God takes is <clears throat> he says, okay, this is what I want you to do first. First thing I want you to do. He goes, then, he goes, I want you to go, and I want you to go to the center of your town. I want you to tear down all the idols, the Tower of Babel. Babel was a horrible God that called upon his people to sacrifice their children to serve him, that called on astropoles, which were literally poles of sexual uh, body parts. It was pornography pole. Very similar to our culture today. <clears throat> and he said, I want you to tear that down, and I want you to then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord, your God. On the top of this height, using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So he says, what I want you to do is I want you, the first thing I want you to do is what we talked about last week. I want you to call an idol an idol. I want you to destroy the idol. See, whenever you're going to take on a great need, the first thing that you need to do is make sure you're trusting a great God who has a great call on your life. Not the great call to the great need, the great call for your heart, for who you are. This is the point at which he had to decide if he was going to say yes to God. Because <clears throat> if he got caught tearing this down, the town people were going to come out on him and beat him up. As a matter of fact, after he had done it the next day, the town people came, found out who it was, and they, they came to his father and said, bring him out to us. We want to we punish him. The father wouldn't do it. But this was a dangerous move where he identified the idol and he destroyed the idol. So the first thing... Great call, great God, great call is God's going to call you to holiness, to purity, to follow him by saying yes. So then <clears throat> the next thing he does is uh, he, goes, he goes, okay, now let's go to war. He's ready to go to war. And so God says, you know what? You know what? There's too many men in your army. Now they're going to go to war against 30,000, 40,000 men. Picture that. Picture a field big enough to hold 30 or 40,000 men. It's really as if Brookdale Park was just entirely full of people inside the track there, just full of people. That's how many men he's going to go to war against. And God says, you know what? You've got too many soldiers on your side. People are going to think that they defeated the enemy and they met the great need and not me. This is, this is important. Because at the core of any great need, the answer is for people to turn their hearts toward God. This is kind of a sidelight to the message, but it's a principle that you've got to think about when you address great needs. It's something you have to wrestle with. Our greatest need is to know Christ. Our greatest need is eternal life. If a man is hungry, 
and you feed him. If, if he's destitute and you take care of him, you get him a great house. If you take care of a man's entire physical needs for the rest of his life, but when he dies, he does not know Christ. And so he spends eternity without Christ. What good have we done? You see, the goal is always to turn people's hearts toward God. That's the need. Now, a lot of times he calls us to meet these needs. That's what he calls us to do. But remember, it's always with a view of helping them to be able to see and meet Christ. To experience grace in their lives. So, God says, I want you to, 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 to lower the number of men. The first test is this. Go to all of the men and say to them, are any of you afraid? If any of you are afraid at all, you don't really want to be here, go home. 20,000 men go home. So, you, you were, I don't know how many, exactly how many men he has left, but I know this. He's down 20,000 men. You're going to face 30,000, 40,000, and you're down 20. It doesn't look good. God says, you know what? There's still too many. There's still too many. I want you to take them to the river and ask them to drink. Anybody who gets down on their hands and knees and drinks, I want them to go home. All of those who cup the water in their hands and they, they lap it like a dog, I want those to stay. So he does this test. And sure enough, he's, uh, uh, thousands more go home. He's left with 300. This is 100 to 1 odds. It's important. This is an important principle. If you think that God is only calling you to meet needs that you have the resources to meet, that are within your power to take care of, you're going to miss the greatest calling. You're going to miss the opportunity that God has for you to meet the greatest needs. God meets the greatest needs through his power, not yours. Now at this point, Gideon this is scary, guys. If we're going to look at this for what it really was, this had to be scary. Interestingly, God does something that he doesn't, he doesn't go, oh, you should believe in me. What's the matter with you? Where's your faith? He actually says to Gideon, hey, are you, are you okay? You need a little more confidence? Go down, and go down by their army and listen for a little bit. And he goes down by the army and he hears that one of them had a dream. And in that dream, it communicates that they're going to lose the battle. So fear has set in to the Midianites already. So this is what uh, the plan that God gives to Midian. He goes, now, I want you to go take a gourd, uh, an empty, dried-out gourd. Inside of that gourd, I want you to put a candle, and then I want every one of the 300 men to have a gourd, a candle, and a trumpet. And I want you to surround this army, and when I tell you to, we are going to break the gourd so the light shows, and we're going to blow our trumpets. That's exactly what they did. They surrounded him on his cue. It goes off, and the light shows, and this is what happened. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords, and the army fled. How do 300 men defeat 30,000 men? Right, you just have those 30,000 men turn on each other and destroy each other. God did his work. He met that need. 
looked absolutely impossible. The only thing Gideon had was a great God and a great call on his life and a great need that God said he was going to meet through Gideon. That's all he had. He didn't have power. He didn't have resources. He didn't have men. He had the word of God. And then he just had to respond. He had to decide if he was going to respond to that. And he did respond to it. Pretty, pretty awesome story, right? Pretty amazing how that works. And, and really, God does that with us all of the time. So the next thing I have here is get to work. Why? Because for many of you, you have the great God. You, you've already had the great calling. God's called you to your life and and you have great need around you. You have great need around you. You're just not getting to work. You are so busy in your life. Focus on so many other things. Or you're just ignoring that God has called what God has called you to. You, you, you're, you're trying to take all sorts of different call, needs on. You're not focused on the one that God has for you. Or you're afraid. You're saying, look, I'm too weak. I can't do anything. What can I do? And I just want to protect my little world here. And get to work. It's time to get to work. But what I'd like to do for just a few minutes is I, I, I want to I show you the need that, that Skyline has seen. The need that Skyline has seen has everything to do with dad loving mom and mom loving dad. You're like, oh, you're focused on... On, on parents. Nope. There's a huge need in America for children. I want you to watch this. Let's get started talking about this need right here.
you, did you see that line? As marriage crumbles, children were crushed. That's the need I see. Nothing gets me more fired up. Nothing gets me to a place where I want to say yes to a great God who has a great calling and see a great need when I watch a child without a dad. Now, as we talk about this, uh, our culture likes to say and, and others like to say, hey, listen, single moms are great. Don't be hard on single moms. Don't be hard on single dads. This, listen, this has nothing to do with not loving people in the situation they're in. It has nothing to do with not wanting to honor and build up and support and take care of the family, the family, single families. Our church is full of families in that situation. But let's not kid ourselves. Let's not pretend that because it is that way, it's okay. Let's do something about this. Let's, let's take a step. Let's make a difference in people's lives. You know, one of the stats as I was studying through this, it just floored me, was that girls in without dads are 100% more likely to be obese. Well, that's crazy, right? The stats of what it does when a child grows up without his dad are devastating. So do we need to change the government? Do we, do we need to start huge programs? I don't believe so. I don't believe that what God's called us to. I believe that God has called us to first and foremost to say yes to a great God in our personal lives. So that we can have the character, so we can have the significance, so we have something left over. So that men who have families can be dads to some of those young people who don't have a dad. But most of all, so we can reach young families. We can reach single moms and single dads. We can give them the grace of God. We can introduce them to this great God so that they raise their children in such a way that, that their children learn how to be married, learn how to love each other in the toughest of times, learn how to be loved by God so that they can then take it in the tough times and stay together and fight against this culture that's tearing our families apart. That's a need. That's a need worth giving your life to. That's also a need that can only be accomplished by a great God and a group of people who say yes to that great In your life, you may be hearing God's call on your life. It may not be specific to this one. I invite you to be a part of Skyline. I invite you to be a part of giving your life to Christ so that we can build a whole new generation of families where every child in this set of families know that dads love mom and mom loves dad. And they are introduced to the love of Christ. I invite you to be a part of that. But you may have found another one. Maybe something specific that God's calling you to that's going to help people in this great need. And you're going to like, yeah, let's get to work. Let's go. Well, before you take that step, I want to read some verses to you because we often make this one big mistake. 
Plans are established by counsel, by wise, by wise guidance. They wage war. Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but an abundance of counselors, uh, there is safety. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise, uh, but a wise man listens to advice. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. But wise guidance, you can wage your war. Uh, in an abundance of counselors, there's victory. What are those verses saying? We're so tempted when we finally hear those things to go off by ourselves and do something. No, 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 no. First, build a team of new influencers. What do you mean? Build a team of people around you who are saying yes to a great God, who are saying yes to the great call, who are seeing that great need and saying, okay, how are we going to do this? Or at least we'll give you advice as you move forward, as you do that. See, this is why it's so important that you are part of a small group. This is key to you being involved in a ministry team. This is why it's so important that you have one or two men or women in your life who you, you share everything with, who are godly people who've said yes who will call you to tear down the idols in your life and be able to move forward. Man, there are so many men in our church. So many men in our church. You've, you've caught the glimpse of this. God has called you. He's talking to you. And, and you got your eyes out there looking at the world, but you haven't torn down that idol in your own home. You have said, I want to make a difference in people's lives. I want to make a difference in people's lives. But you have not Surrendered to what it's going to take to love your wife so she knows she's the most loved person in the world. You are, are, are focused on other key, people's kids and you have not said, I'm going to get these things out of my life so I can raise my children to know who Christ is. You have not entered into relationships with other men whereby they know who you are, you know who they are. You are not walking alone. Last week we got to see a couple of uh, videos and and there's, there's three ladies I asked to do this. This is the third lady. She's part of this group of people. And she's learned some things about saying yes to God. Take a look at this. Hi, uh, my name is Addie, and um, I'd like to talk a little bit about what it's like for me to say yes to God. I struggle a lot with knowing more so when God's asking me to do something or to react in a certain way. Um, and I feel that I didn't even take into account that God was ever asking me to do things purposefully up until probably the last six months to eight months. I felt like it was just kind of my own thing and my own ideas. And uh, lately it's been very clear to me that there are certain things that God's asking of me, but I struggle in my, in my brain, I guess, uh, with determining is it is it God's voice? Is it my voice? Um, am I saying things I want him to say to me? Or is it really him asking me, uh, asking me to say yes to him? Where do you think God led you first? Where, do, where was his first ask, if you will? So I think the first time, looking back now, that I can recall that was a big yes for me with God, was him leading me to run retreats for our nonprofit, which I immediately said yes to. And I believe that was a big first yes for me because of what came out of it after. The reason I feel like it was such a big piece for me 
in my spiritual walk was um, a friend of mine, um, well, that wasn't a friend at the time, but another attendee at the retreat had also lost a child and um, talked about her walk with God through her loss. I pushed God so far away. Just meeting her and knowing that she lost a child too and could still love God and think that God loves her really opened up the door for me to believe that that he still loved me and and that I could also trust in him again and so that was in October of 2015 the next yes I said was to um, start church that following January which is when I first stepped foot into Skyline what happened next was it something you were just easily able to fall into with your family did you immediately want to join ministry like what steps did you take once you were in the body of the church and and realizing I guess all these new opportunities opened themselves up to you? So once I started Skyline, I um, did just that. I just attended church. I was very backward and awkward and shy and wasn't really fully, I guess, saying yes at that point. I was just showing up and was just trying to let, you know, the, the messages and the worship work through me and see what that would look like. Um, I stayed that way for at least a year. My family didn't go with me. It was my, my oldest son, Jackson, came with me, but my husband and my younger two stayed home. And um, it was kind of our little thing that we did um, until probably a year later when I felt God saying, you need to connect. This is this is so surface level. So I did, I started uh, attending a life group and trying to put myself out there a little more and make connections with people, um, which all felt really right and good. Um, it just took me a lot longer to um, take that leap, I suppose. Uh, I joined Meal Ministry, which felt very doable for me. I wanted to become a part of uh, Skyline in a deeper way, but just knew that my limitations, I had a lot of limitations as far as like what I could do with the kids and things, but it wasn't until I really felt the need to dive fully into a ministry where it wasn't just, you know, once or twice a month here and there or something that I felt like I was actually giving back to this community, this church that had done at that point so much for me that I felt uh, the real need to to dive in deep. So um, September of 2018, I made the step of baptism. And that was really when I gave myself over fully to Christ. And not just the act, but just the idea of, you know, accepting Christ as my savior. And I knew that I just really wanted to fully go. And so I remember praying to God and saying, even to my husband, like, I really wanna, you know, dive into something ministry-wise. And Erica and Katie, who, uh, eBay who runs Huddle approached me and asked me if I would consider um, hosting a small group within within Huddle, which is the high school program that we run. And I was fully honored, but also like completely shocked. I had just taken my step of baptism and I, I feel and felt not nearly as knowledgeable as I should be um, to lead these young women towards Christ. So I didn't answer right away. I kind of thought about what it would look like for our family and me. And that was when I realized that God was using those uh, those women as vessels to have me say yes. What was it like jumping into working with high schoolers? Like that's not that's not just the ministry people say, "Oh yeah, that's totally where I'm supposed to go." So leading these women, these young women has been uh, such a blessing, but also uh, gosh, it has made me dig deeper into my own self, and my own faith. I knew jumping into this, they would have questions that I wouldn't have the answers to. Um, hard questions. These are young women who are on the brink of adulthood, who don't understand certain things in the Bible that don't make sense to them. And it's not the culture and um, 
to say I was nervous it was an understatement. I uh, be, actually leading up to huddle, I had not prayed in front of people in years, and I knew that I was going to need to do that. Silly little things that seem little to other people were very big to me. I think it's been maybe three or four months at this point now that I have stopped questioning myself and know that I'm the right person for this. But there was so many times I would apologize to Katie. I'm sorry I can't be at church on Sunday because my nonprofit requires me to be doing this or I have a commitment here and constantly feeling like I was less than and not what these women needed and what Katie needed and had asked of me and what God was asking of me. Um, but thankfully through her encouragements, I just it just became very clear to me that um, though I'm not as biblically knowledgeable as I'd love to be, and I'm constantly working on that, um, these these young women appreciate that and understand that, and I just can only hope that they feel as blessed by our connection as I do, because I feel it is a definite best yes for me. I feel like the everyday yes that I say to God that feels the most powerful for me um, is when I say yes to trusting in Him, and so it's not this big leadership role or these big retreats um, that might impact a, a lot of people in a lot of different ways. Um, for me, it's such a calming feeling to say, yes, God, I trust you. And I know that you've got this. And I think a lot of women, I hate to put us all in this category, love to be in control of things and feel safe when we're in control of things. And I never ever thought that letting go of that control and saying yes to God and giving it to someone else, giving it to God, giving it to Him, would feel freeing and 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 peaceful and calming, but it a thousand percent does. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, where we want to start this morning is we are from the weakest family and the last one in the family. Lord, we see great needs around us, but we do not see ourselves as able to meet those needs. Lord, family after family after family in our community has no idea how to be married, but they don't know they don't know. We give ourselves to you. We say yes to you as our great God. We say yes to you of a great calling, not to the great need first, but to our lives. Addie said it. The big turning point is when she said, okay, God, you can have me. And then, Lord, we turn our eyes to this great calling. Bloomfield High School has thousands of teenagers and very, very few have any idea who you are. They have no idea how to be married. They've been filled with this false sense of significance that's going to betray them. Jesus, we ask you to do something about that great need. And we offer ourselves. Lord, in our own community, our own little church here, there are couple after couple, there are single moms, there's single dads, there's people who have very little to offer in the sense of the ability to overcome this great need. But you've called us. And you say, 
cut down the resources so we can know that you've done it. Lord, I pray for us to say yes to you, not based on our resources, not based on our personal strength, but because you are a God of great strength. We want to put our trust in you. We want to move forward knowing we could fall flat on our faces, but we trust you. Folks, you, you there at home, you that are watching, would you say yes with us? Would you say yes to God? We'll go wherever you want to go. We'll go with what we've got. Lord, I pray for all of us to live and watch the great victory that you're going to bring. In your name we pray.